Well, good morning, New Life Church, and Merry Christmas. It's so good to see you guys here as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, we, want, we don't want to share this day with anyone. This is about Jesus. This is about His kingdom on earth. This is about His arrival, and we give Him praise because this is something, guys, that was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus even arrived. In fact, 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah wrote and recorded this in Isaiah chapter 9 from verse 6. It says these words, if you have your Bibles. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Everyone say Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everyone say Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Say Everlasting Father. And Prince of Peace. He's a Prince of Peace. Everyone say Prince of Peace. This is who we are celebrating today. Jesus Christ, the mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, and Prince of Peace. In fact, one of the things we highlight over Christmas season is that peace has arrived. And do you know that when Jesus comes and lives in your heart, then you and I have the Prince of Peace dwelling within us. Every one of you who's a Christian, if you've received Jesus, you have the Prince of Peace within you. And so I guess the question starts to become for us Christians is that why don't we always feel at peace? If we have the Prince of Peace living in us, if the Prince of Peace has come, if if that's what we are celebrating today, that the Prince of Peace has come, Why do we always feel at peace? Because there's a great thief of peace amongst us. And you know what what its name is? Worry. Oh, man, worry is a great thief of peace. You, You try to fall asleep at night when your mind is full of worry. You, You try focus on a task at hand when your mind is full of worry. Worry is a great thief. Of peace. Worry makes you short-tempered, makes you unfocused, makes you grumpy, makes you not be in the present moment. Worry is such a thief, and, and there's so many things that we just seem to worry about, even though we're Christians. Even though we have the Prince of Peace in us, we, we struggle still with worry, and, and I've had so many conversations with so many great members over the past 20 years, and I know this to be true, it seems like there's always like one thing that we're particularly, each one of us, one thing that we're particularly inclined to worry about. Like for some of you, you seem to be inclined to worry about the world and the state of the world. And so you worry about like all the things happening, the wars and the famines and the climate and the politics and the economy and the markets and the signs of the times. And your mind is so preoccupied with worry about the state of the world and the future of this world. For some of you, you're more inclined to worry about your kids. That's like your part-time hobby, right? So you worry about their health and their happiness and their security and their protection and At night, you're worried, what if this could happen? What if this could happen? And I hope this doesn't happen. And so there's worry just fueled around your children. 
For some of you, it's got to do with your career, right? You worry about your job and all the stresses that come with your job and those deadlines and those projects. And even as you look to 2024, maybe you don't have a lot of joy right now because you're just worried. Am I going to be able to do it? Can I do it well? Can I sustain it? Can I, with all that pressure, can I build that business? Can I still continue with what I'm doing? Maybe your worry is around your health. Some people worry about their health. They worry about the things going on in their bodies or the bodies of someone that they love. Maybe someone's been diagnosed with something. You've got a report from a doctor, which isn't looking very good. And so now there's worry around the health. Or maybe you like me. If I had to look at my life and think, what's the one thing that keeps tripping me up when it comes to worry? The one thing I keep finding myself worrying about is like money and finances. Maybe that's the thing you always worry about. I mean, and it, and it seems to get worse around the December time, right? Because I have like 150 kids to buy presents for. And on top of that, like, we have one of our kids have a birthday in December, and then four of us in our household have birthdays in January. Before payday, all of them. And then, then, then all these kids have to like start school, Right, and with that comes uniforms and like book packs and stationery packs. And it's just like, oh my word, how are we going to do it? Every single December, January, I'm looking ahead thinking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get through this? There's just always worry. And they're like, am I going to be able to like get them the gifts I want to get them? Never mind gifts. Like, are we going to eat? Like, like just there's so much, so much expense. And so I keep finding my life. I get tripped up worrying about money and finances and security and whether or not I'm going to have enough to sustain our family. And then I look at this Christmas story, and what I find in this Christmas story is his worry. This very story that celebrates the arrival of the Prince of Peace is filled with worry. You, you look at Mary and Joseph, they're worried. What are people going to say? I'm going to try to divorce you quietly, Right? so that I can still protect your reputation. There's warriors. Mary has to travel to Bethlehem for that census right near the end of her pregnancy. There's worry about where they're going to have this baby. This baby's about to come. Where they're even going to have this baby. There's worry with Zechariah and Elizabeth about her pregnancy and her late age. There's just all this worry, even in the story that celebrates the Prince of Peace coming to earth. Even in the story, there's worry. And so here's a gift that I want to give to you today. As we celebrate the arrival of the Prince of Peace, I hope and I pray that the gift that I can give you today with this message is peace. I am hope and I pray that through today's service and through this message, you and I would discover the Prince of Peace in the middle of our worry. You know, this word worry, uh, we actually, this English word worry, we get from a German word. The German word we get it from is vreichan. And vreichan means to strangle someone, to choke them. That's where we get the word worry from. Now, I think it's such a fitting response or such a fitting description because isn't that what worry feels like? Like when you are worrying, guys, it chokes you out. It, it's just bad. 
I mean, when worry becomes anxiety and stress, it's bad for everything. It's bad for your relationships. It's bad for your job. It's bad for your mental health. It's bad for your physical health. When I am like overcome with worry, I start to feel it in my body. I have, I have a physical response to worry and stress. My, my stomach starts to get hard and enough. My, my shoulders start to, I feel like I need a massage the whole time. When it's really bad, my eyes start to twitch. Then I know, okay, Ryan, take a break, careful. And if I ignore that and I keep going, the, the final sign for me is I get this pain right here on my collarbone. It feels like it's on fire. And I know when this thing starts to like light up and go on fire, like then I'm on trail. I am right near the end of what I'm actually able to carry. I'm probably past it already. And so this thing called worry, it really does choke us. It chokes the joy out of your life. It, it, it chokes any peace out of your life. Like when you're worried, it's such a fitting description to think of us being choked. And so what does Jesus say about this thing that clearly the God who loves us doesn't want us to live with? The God who's designed you, clearly the Prince of Peace doesn't want you to live with us. What advice does Scripture give? And there's this great Scripture in Matthew 6, a very famous piece of Scripture on worry. And there's many verses in here that I've memorized. And the reason I've memorized them is because when I'm worrying, I find myself quoting these verses. And so this is a great part of the Bible for you to underline, for you to try to commit to memory. These are great verses for you to quote out loud when you are given to worry. So this is what Jesus says. Join me in Matthew 6 from verse 25. Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or for, store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work for making their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow brings its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Look at someone and say, today has enough trouble on its own. So I want to break this down. Because I think there's some great tools that you and I can pull out of this text from Matthew 6. And the first is this. If I just sum this up. You are commanded not to worry. And I don't know if you picked it up, but you are actually commanded not to worry. In that short piece, Jesus commands you three times. He commands you in verse 25, in verse 31, in verse 34. Just in that short piece of scripture, you command it three times. Do not worry. And this command speaks in two different ways. Can either mean stop it if you've already started it, or it can mean don't start it. 
So no matter where you are right now in your life, if you are given to worry right now today, the command from Jesus Christ is stop that. Stop it. Stop worrying. And if you are finding yourself kind of stepping into the realm of worrying and you have some thoughts coming to your head about things, say don't even start it. In fact, I love the amplified version of the Bible. It says, stop being perpetually uneasy. That is anxious and worried about your life. So I don't know what you might find yourself stressed about or worried about or anxious about, but I do know that God wants you to stop worrying. This is the first part of this text. You're commanded not to worry. In fact, get this. Jesus just assumes that you're going to obey this command. He assumes it so much that you're going to listen to him when he, does, when he commands us that he says a mark of an unbeliever will be that they worry. That's how you'll know they're non-Christians, because they're given to worry. But you're not going to be given to worry, because you're going to obey my commands, and I've commanded you not to worry. Listen to what Jesus says. He really doubles down on this thought in verse 32. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, one of the markers of non-Christians is they worry. And one of the markers of a Christian is that they don't. To worry, to worry means you're acting like a non-believer. And I want you to think about that. I mean, I've had to think about this. Every time I worry, I've got to realize I'm really acting like a non-Christian now. Because I've been commanded by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not to worry. And so we have this command do not worry. But I love that the Bible doesn't leave it there, that the Bible actually explains also why we shouldn't worry. And that's what I love about the Bible. I find the Bible so reasonable. Like God doesn't just throw out a command and be like, I hope you understand. No, like he throws out a command and then he explains why he's given this command. And when you hear God's explanation, you're like, well, that sounds reasonable. Now I know why I shouldn't worry. And then he's going to tell us how to stop worrying. Great. So in this text, first of all, we're commanded not to worry. Secondly, we're going to be told now why we shouldn't worry. And the answer is this. Why should you and I not worry? Well, it's revealed for us in verse 26. When it says in Matthew, 3, Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or sow food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. Why should you not worry? Because you have a heavenly father. Look at someone and say, you have a heavenly father. In fact, Jesus tells us to do this exercise. And maybe we should do this, like when it stops raining today. He says, go look at the birds. You know what you'll never find a bird doing? You'll never find a bird worrying. Anyone seen a bird worry? Clasping the branch. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen to the country? My word, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? What am I going to eat? Oh, Lord, help! Right? Never see a bird doing that. If you go look at the birds, you're going to just see them working diligently, chirping away, whistling, building their homes, eating what's available to them. Like, you just never see a bird worry. And yet... 
And yet when Jesus talks about the birds, he says, your heavenly father, you and me. He doesn't call God the birds heavenly father. You know why? Because they don't have a heavenly father. They, They only have a heavenly creator. And if the heavenly creator looks after the birds of the air so well, how much more a heavenly father will look after you? How much more? We have, a, we have things that birds never had. You and I have been created in the image and likeness of God. You and I have been given promises by God. We've been adopted into the family of God. How much more? If he's going to look after the birds, how much more his own children? This is why we don't worry. Because we have a father. We have a father. I mean, you, you look at the flowers, God says. Don't worry. And yet you have a heavenly father. You've got promises they don't have. That's why you don't even have to worry about the future. Because your father is already there. He already knows it all. Man, we can get so hung up worrying about the future. If I look at our society, I think our society is a bit obsessed trying to figure out the future because people are trying to predict everything. They're trying to predict what's going to happen in that war trying to predict what's going to happen with the market and the economy. They're trying to predict the weather, trying to predict the climate, trying to predict different kinds of stats. And this is how it's going to happen with families. This is what's going to happen with cars. This is what's, listen, no one knows. The only one who knows tomorrow is God. The only one who holds our future is God. No one knows. At best, they're guessing. And so people can tell you what they want about tomorrow. They can tell you what they want about the future, but no one knows. The only one who actually knows is God, and he's on your side. He's got your back. He holds your life in his hands. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. That's the one who holds tomorrow. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 34. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Listen, guys, worry doesn't take away the sorrow of tomorrow. It just robs you of the strength of today. It never takes away the pain or the sorrow of tomorrow. It always just takes away your strength to get through today. And so I think as children of God, we've got to make this decision that we will not live like unbelievers. We will not live like orphans. We will not live like those who are slaves to fear, but instead we will live like children of God and children of God do not worry. Now, those of you who are parents, you'll get this when you really start thinking about it. And I've often said this, I feel like my fathering of children has taught me more about God than almost anything else, that experience of having kids. Because you know what my kids never do? They never come and check whether or not I can provide for them. They just assume. Not once have any of my kids come and said, Dad, 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 have you paid the school fees this month? Dad, Dad, Dad. Are you going to be able to afford water and lights? Dad, 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 did you pay the bond? Dad, 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 dad. Like, 
You know those meals, those nine plates you put out three times a day? Like, can we afford the next one? Never. You know what they have? Just blind trust. Which means that my kids trust me more than most of us trust God. Me, a fallible man with limited resources. We trust in men more than we trust in God who is infallible and has all the resources in the world. He owns the world. He holds tomorrow. There is nothing that happens in nature that's outside of his control, sovereignty, and authority. Nothing. And so I think we've got to have the same attitude that our kids have with us and say, God, you know what I need? I'm going to tell you what I need. I'm going to just trust it in your hands. God, you got this. I don't have to worry because I have a heavenly father and he loves me. And his economy is never in recession, no matter what's going to happen here. His kingdom is always stable, no matter what's going to happen here. He'll never leave me, never forsake me, always love me, always be with me. Like, God, I trust you. I trust you more than anyone else. So he says, don't worry. I command you not to worry because you're not an orphan. You're a child of God. And you have a heavenly father. And he's so good and so loving. And he's in control. You know, there's this famous evangelist. Many of you know John Wesley. Uh, did mighty things in the kingdom of God and the history of the church. There's a story told of someone who ran up to John Wesley in panic. And he's like, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, your house has just burned down. Your house burned down. It's gone. Your house is gone. And he looked at him and he said, Mm-mm, my house didn't burn down. No, you don't understand. Your house is gone. It just burned. I've just come from there. It's gone. He goes, no, my house didn't burn down. That's the Lord's house. That house belonged to the Lord. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. And his attitude was like, well, I lost nothing because I had nothing. And so if the Lord decided that his house should be burnt down, who am I to stand in his way? If the Lord decided to remove that, it was his and not mine. He's in control, not me. And so if that's what he wanted to do, who am I to stand in the way of the will of the Lord? If he didn't want this house, there should be no house. It wasn't mine to begin with. When you live like that, you cannot worry. And then Jesus tells us how useless this worry is in verse 27. He says, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? You know what your worry never did? It never changed a thing. It is so unproductive. It, it changes nothing when you worry. It's such an unproductive thing to do. It has no power. It has no influence. has no ability to change your circumstances. All it does is bring heaviness and a lack of joy and a lack of peace. It robs you. It never gives. It never adds. It always takes away. So it's never added a moment to your life. It's never added a solution. No matter how much you're worrying about that thing you're worrying about, your worrying isn't changing that thing. And so what should we do? If we know the command, do not worry, we know the reason because we have a heavenly Father who's good and for us. And so what should we do when we're given to worry? For those of you right now who are given to some worry, 
what should we do? Because we still feel it. We still go through things. We go through lack. We go through loss. We go through turmoil. We go through strife. We go through disease. So what do we do? How do we handle our circumstance, our reality to this command of Jesus? Well, I love that Jesus tells us what to do. And the answer lies in verse 33 of Matthew 6. It says this, so don't worry, but instead of worry, do this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Don't worry. Instead of worrying, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. This is a really special text. It's only one of five places in the book of Matthew where we're instructed to look at the kingdom of God. All the other places talk about the kingdom of heaven, which means eternity, the place we will live with God forever. This is speaking about the kingdom of God. What's it meaning? It's meaning that our focus, what we're seeking in our life, is first God's will, God's plan, and God's purpose. Before we seek our plan, our will, and our person, I'm seeking the kingdom. I'm seeking the righteousness of God in my life. Before I'm seeking my will and my, my plans and my kingdom. You see, all of us actually have a battle of two kingdoms going on inside of us. We all have this battle inside of us between our kingdom and God's kingdom. Now, you are born with a natural inclination to worry about your kingdom first. And so many of us do, we worry about our kingdom. We, we worry like, do I have enough in my little kingdom? Am I comfortable enough? Am I secure enough? Am I safe enough? Am I protected enough? Have I got enough? We worry about my little kingdom. Is it going to last long enough? Am I healthy enough? Am I liked enough? Is there enough love in my little kingdom? And so for many of us, we put our kingdom first, our needs, our wants, our priorities, our desires, our kingdom is first. And if your kingdom is first, you can't help but worry. Because now I feel like I'm in control. I've got to make a plan. I can't help but worry when my kingdom's first. And one of the ways you know your kingdom is first is because the moment anything negative happens in your kingdom, you know what you'll do? You'll turn on God. When something happens in my kingdom that is not going according to plan, it's not going according to script, this isn't what I asked for, this isn't what I wanted, suddenly it's like, God, where are you now? God, how could you? God, why would you do this? God, I thought you promised. So when my kingdom is first, man, it can make me so cross with God, I can blame him and shame him and get angry with him because my kingdom is not the way I want it. And I have to be in control of this kingdom. And so I put all my effort, all my energy, all my focus, all my passion, right, to try and make sure my kingdom is okay. But Jesus says, don't do this. Because you can't help but worry then. You'll live a life worrying about your kingdom. If you want to live a life free of worry, instead of worrying, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. You know what that looks like? It's saying, God, no matter the pain, the turmoil, the strife, the lack, the disease, okay, God, 
what do you want to do with this? God, what do you want to use this for? Because you understand that sometimes God is going to use circumstances in your life. A little bit of turmoil sometimes, a little bit of strife sometimes. Sometimes he's going to use these things to refine you. Sometimes he's going to use these things to grow you, to stretch you, to teach you about his power. Sometimes he's going to use these things to create in your life a testimony. Because can I remind you, there is no resurrection without the crucifixion. There is no parting of the Red Sea without the army chasing them. There is no record of Daniel without the lion's den. And so sometimes he's going to take you through these things that seemingly in the moment seem like loss in order to show you his power. Sometimes he'll take you through the fire to reveal your idols, to reveal the things where you have loved other things more. Sometimes he'll shake the natural earthly foundations of your life so that you can see that your life is not built on the everlasting rock. And it's good for you. And so suddenly I see my trials and my tribulations, my lack. I see these things differently. Because now when they happen, I say, God, you are in control. And whatever you want to do with my life, it is your will that matters and not mine. Your purpose that matters and not mine. And I believe you will use all things to the good, to the glory of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so God, in this moment, I wouldn't choose this, but I trust you. God, in this moment, I don't understand, but I know you're a good father, and I know you have all the power and all the resources to change this, and if you're choosing not to, I know I need to be in this right now. And God, something happens when you do that. When you... Look at all your trials, your tribulation, your lack. When you look at it through this lens, suddenly, you know what happens? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding now starts to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When the Prince of Peace, when his kingdom becomes more important than your little kingdom, now you're living in peace. You know, we have a bit of a joke around, amongst our pastoral staff. We always feel like whatever we're preaching on, we're going to get tested on. So, and this has been going for years. Uh, you know, I've been preaching now for 20 years. I've seen this to be true. Whatever we preach on, we test it on. So sometimes when I'm planning a series, I'll, I'll uh, give some of my sermons to the other pastors. I'm like, I don't want to be tested on this thing. So like, Louis, yeah, you do this one, right? You... <laughs> You do this one. Like, I'm not in the mood to be tested on that. So here I am in December, struggling with worry around our finances. And are we going to make it? Are we going to do this? And I'm like, no, okay, I'm going to just surrender, Lord, whatever you want. Like, and God has been so faithful. And like, we've got through, like, we just got to get through January, but we've got through December. And then this morning, I wake up on Christmas Day. Oh, man, I just think it's going to be great. And what do I wake up to? No power. Now, that's not a problem in my house, but it's a problem here because just in this week, we decided to move our entire solar system, and not everything's connected yet. We thought we're safe, right? Like, there's no load shedding right now. So now, 3 o'clock in the morning, the power goes out. We only discover this at about 5. The system's already been working for about two hours. By the time we get here, the battery's down to 10% of what's left. 
for us to use. And before 6 o'clock, the power's out. And now I just started worrying, Lord, all these people are coming. And it's, God, it's, it's Christmas Day. We're going to have it in the dark. We have to do a cappella, Lord. We don't have any power, God. There's people online. They're not even going to be able to watch now, Lord. There's families depending on this. Jesus, like, what's going on, Lord? And this is for you. It's your birthday. Like, what? And I started to feel worry kind of coming on the pit of my stomach. I'm sitting there trying to go over my notes. I'm like, Lord, how are we going to do this? And we had this plan and the band's practice and these volunteers coming, Lord. And how are we going to do this? And just started finding myself just so given to worry, overcome by worry. And then I'm trying to go through these notes, but I'm struggling to focus because I'm like, how are we really going to do this today? The team's coming together. They're practicing things without power. We're all in the dark. And as I start going through my notes, I catch myself, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm about to speak to, like, a thousand people about this. What am I doing? And I said, okay, Lord, I understand. This is yours. I'm going to seek your kingdom first. And so I send a message to our staff group, and when something like this, guys, looks like we're not going to have power today for Christmas, but can I remind you, this is God's church and not ours. And if he's decided that we should have no power today, who are we to stand in his way? His will be done. It's his church. And I want to share this because this statement comes with a promise in Matthew 6.33. That if we seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, then, God says, then all these things will be added to you anyway. And you know, it was about... We, we were coming here, and it's like, we're fully accepted, guys. We're going to do this with our power. This is what God wants. Woo, we're in. Like, if God wants us, we're in. And then about quarter past seven, the power comes back on. And it's almost as God is saying, guys, when I can see in your heart that these earthly things are not more important than me, I'm happy to give you these earthly things. When I can see that these things are not going to trip you up or distract you, when I can see that these things are not going to dilute or pollute your faith in any way, when you are seeking me first in my righteousness and my will and my purpose, when you put me first, I'm happy to give you all the things you need. But I want to be first. And I, we just saw that as a practical illustration just this morning. When we had made peace with God, you have your way. This is your church. What are we? This is not a house. This is yours. Do your thing, Lord. The power comes back. I want to encourage you in your life, it's ironic that the moment you let go is probably going to be the moment you get your breakthrough. Seek him first, his will. And I don't know what loss, sickness, lack, strife, pressure, stress. I don't know what you're going through, but what I do want, I want to, I want to challenge you to ask a different question. Ask this question, God. What do you want to do with this in my life? How do you want to use this for your kingdom? How do you, do you want to teach me something? Do you want to grow me in some area? God, I'm not going to arm wrestle you. I'm not going to fight you on this. I submit to you and I trust that you've got my back. You're a good father. You're in control. And guys, as you start to hand over those reins, like I found this morning, there was such a peace that came and just putting it in the hands of God and saying, God, your will be done, not mine. Because my worry can't change it anyway. My worry does nothing anyway. It's a much better use of your effort to submit 
your life to Christ. And I want to encourage you to do that right now. In fact, can you close your eyes? I want to pray with those of you who might be struggling with worry in your life. I want to pray that the Prince of Peace would now sit on the throne of your heart. You have been instructed not to worry. And I don't know if you're worrying about the world, your family, your future, your job, your career, your kids, your marriage, your finances. But I know that God is in control. And I know that you have a heavenly Father who loves you, who's for you, who's with you right now. Would you submit to his will and his plan, even if right now his plan means less, means lack, even if his answer is no? Would you trust that it's still better? In fact, maybe you want to just pray that prayer right now. Wherever you are, just pray a prayer. Say, God, I trust you. God, I submit to your will. Have your way, Lord. May your will be done. God, I want to come against any fear, any worry, any anxiety, any stress in this room. I come against it in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Jesus, today as we celebrate your arrival, that the Prince of Peace is here. Emmanuel is here. May your peace rule and reign in our hearts, Lord. And God, I don't know everyone's issues. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know their trials, but you know each one. You know it in detail, and you are still for them. You are not against them, God. I thank you that you have enough for them, God. And whatever it is you're taking them through, you are with them. So, Father, we trust you with our lives. We trust you when the answer is no. We trust you when the answer is wait. We trust you, Lord God, when you give us what we're asking for. We trust you. You are our heavenly Father. And I pray, God, that right now, a sense of peace would come over your people. God, may we not celebrate the arrival of the Prince of Peace and miss peace itself in our hearts, the promise of peace that transcends all understanding. I claim it for your children right now in Jesus Christ's name. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. And we acknowledge that you are a good dad. You know us well. You know our needs, our struggles. We trust you. And I thank you, God, that your peace is not the absence of problems, that you give us peace in our problems, in our trials, in the storm we're in, we can find the peace of God. And that's what we pray for today. In fact, with every eye closed, I believe there might be some of you in this room who have never given your lives to God. You've never acknowledged that Jesus is Lord. You've never become a Christian before. And perhaps right now you're realizing you need the Prince of Peace in your life. And you want to accept Jesus? Well, I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. But I do want to pray with you. And I need to know who I'm praying for. And so if you want to give your life to Jesus today, if you want to declare him Lord with every eye closed, I just want you to put your hand up and then put it down so I know who to pray for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Hands up all over this room. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
Beautiful. I love seeing that. There's no better day, guys, to accept the gift of Jesus in Christmas Day. Are you kidding me? How beautiful is this? So we're going to pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask that we all pray it. But those who are praying it for the first time, will you pray this with all of your heart and soul? Let's pray these words. Dear God, thank you for finding me. Thank you for loving me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God, that you lived and died and rose again. So today I give you my life. I declare you are Lord of my life. God, I'm sorry for how I've lived. Please forgive me of all my sins. Wash me white as snow. Thank you that today I can receive your salvation. God, thank you for receiving me into your family. From this day forward, my life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.